This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 21st, 2020. I'm Cato Brown. The federal incursion into Portland, Oregon, nominally to protect federal monuments, looks an awful lot like an attempt at suppressing protest, according to Cato's Patrick Eddington. He argues many long-standing federal powers, combined with recently granted authorities, should concern anyone who wants to protect the rights of individuals to speak their minds in public. You and I have spoken about this many times, and um, before you, I spoke about this with uh, Adam Bates when he was at Cato. I spoke about this with David Ritgers when he was at the Cato Institute, and this is this mishmash of federal authorities, uh, some of which exist nationwide, some of which exist within a what is uh, not in statute anywhere, but has been sort of presumed to be a 100-mile band uh, into the continental United States. That is just a, a if you took, took a highlighter around the edges of the Uni- a map of the United States, you, you could get it. And um, CBP has been the agency that we most associate these authorities with, which is to engage in the kinds of searches and seizures that we do not normally associate with a free country. So what is going on in Portland right now? So what we know at this stage of the game uh, comes in uh, no small part from some of the work that Ken Klippenstein uh, at The Nation has been doing. And he actually got his hands uh, on an internal DHS memo that talks about uh, what I would have to refer to essentially as counter demonstration uh, type operations being marketed under the guise of protecting American monuments. Uh, and in this circumstance, the, uh, the particular memo in question is talking about the deployment of, of DHS personnel uh, with CBP being in the lead here. Uh, Customs and Border Protection essentially is operating um, uh, under a particular statute here, at least uh, this is what they've been uh, talking about publicly with the New York, uh, that was, was as was quoted in the New York Times. And this is uh, from the U.S. Code, 40 U.S. Code, uh, Section 1315, Law Enforcement Authority of the Secretary of Homeland Security for Protection of Public Property. So that, that goes all the way back uh, at least to the 2002 timeframe. So this has been on the books for a long time. It has never actually been utilized in the way that we are seeing here in Portland. And normally what we see with respect to CBP, whether we're talking about at fixed checkpoints, uh, fixed entry points into the country, or some of these uh, roving checkpoints that they can set up, that's normally an immigration-related, or at least that's how they bill it, as an immigration-related action. Here, we simply have them operating on the streets of of a United States city allegedly out to protect American monuments. Uh, the one individual that we know for a fact was nabbed off the street, Mark Pettibone, wasn't doing anything having to do with a U.S. monument uh, on federal property, so far as I'm aware. And he was stuffed into a what may have been a rental van uh, operated by uh, unmarked federal agents, uh, CBP is what we believe at this point, uh, and taken uh, to the federal courthouse where he was interrogated without counsel. Uh, he wisely refused to answer questions and was then subsequently uh, released without any kind of charges being filed. Now, I don't know where, where you and I are from. I think most people would call that kidnapping. Uh, and, and I think this is why I've been so kind of 
amazed, alarmed, appalled at the lack of response by uh, Governor Kay Brown of Oregon. I mean, you know, she went on Chris Hayes' show on MSNBC, I guess it was on Friday night, and, and declared it unacceptable and uh, made all kinds of you know, wonderful rhetorical statements about this. Uh, when she should have been ordering Oregon public utilities to shut down water and electricity flowing to any CBP facility in her state. That's what she should have been doing, among other things. So uh, to the extent that uh, we understand how police may remove someone from the streets, we understand that they need to identify themselves. Uh, we understand that people who are placed under arrest uh, retain certain rights to communicate with the outside world, to assert their ability to have a, a lawyer present for questioning. It seems that perhaps asking for a lawyer was the trigger here, if I understand you correctly, to say, yeah, we're kind of in uh, uncharted waters here. We probably ought to cut this guy loose. And I, I think it probably did have that effect. Uh, the, the problem, of course, is that uh, these agents should not even be on the ground in Portland, Oregon, or any other American city, for that matter, where these protests uh, uh, that took place in the wake of, of Mr. Floyd's murder back in May have been taking place. This is just, uh, it, it has for me the feel, this incident with Mr. Pettibone really does have the feel of Argentina or Chile in the 1970s with the disappearances that took place. The only thing lacking was you know, Mr. Mr. Pettibone being murdered by those agents, and fortunately that did not happen. But we know that CBP uh, has a reputation for radical, reckless, excessive use of force, including the murder of individuals. Uh, and that's just another reason to be very concerned here. You know, uh, there is no legitimate reason this entire thing that the president is engaged in with this so-called monuments, executive order protection. Uh, this is being done essentially to try to suppress protest in this country. That's exactly what's going on here. It has nothing to actually do with protecting monuments. Look. People go out sometimes and they graffiti and they do things of that nature. Uh, that That's juvenile delinquency. That's a, that's a level of hooliganism. It does not uh, rise to the level of any kind of insurrection, if you will. And, and that's why I think it's, it's clear to most people, I believe, uh, that what the president is doing here is just trying to distract. And in the course of doing that, he's taking enormous power, putting it in the hands of Chad Wolf at DHS and letting them run amok uh, in Portland. And I just worry that this is a test case. That they're that they're looking to see whether or not okay if we can get away with it in Portland can we get away with it in uh, D.C. can we get away with it in Chicago uh, and so on and so forth and that's I, I think what we really have to be watching as this week begins to unfold. So uh, with specific respect to this band uh, within the United States, this so-called 100 miles because it's not written down anywhere, uh, the somewhat interior uh, of the United States, but close to water or uh, another country. Um, what do we understand uh, CBP's authority to be? Or what does CBP understand their authority to be? Well, they base all of this on a 1976 Supreme Court decision, U.S. versus Martinez Fuerte, in which the court ruled uh, in error, in my judgment, and I think in the judgment of, of most who've looked at the case, that CBP has the authority to set up these internal checkpoints uh, in order to essentially run immigration enforcement operations, determining whether or not someone is actually uh, supposed to be in this country. And over the course of the last 40 plus years, these checkpoints have morphed into generalized crime control checkpoints. Most of the time when you see press releases coming out of DHS about CBP ops at these checkpoints, 
it's about drug bust and it's usually about marijuana bust, right? And GAO did a study a couple of years back in which they found that uh, over 40% of these stops that are made within 20 miles uh, of the U.S. border and, and these checkpoints involve a dime bag of marijuana, right? That, that's about all they are. So uh, that's, the, that's the authority that I think most people are, are most commonly referring to when we talk about CBP. What's going on here is being conducted directly under this executive order that the president issued uh, just in the last couple of weeks having to do with the alleged protection of monuments. Uh, and as I indicated, I, I think that's just strictly a cover f- to engage in uh, counter-protest and uh, those kinds of operations. So uh, going forward, uh, you argued that uh, the governor of Oregon should have taken specific steps to throw some hurdles up to federal agencies uh, the question when when I heard about this story and and just the sort of the general tenor of what's going on in Portland, my thought was, well, to what extent is it acceptable for federal police to just act freely within states? As as a general rule, whenever federal agents, and this is particularly true with respect to um, uh, the Department of Justice, and I'm thinking specifically here about, about the FBI, but it would it would apply to to DEA and ATF as well. They clearly have the ability under existing federal statutes to go after the kinds of crimes for which they are charged with uh, investigating uh, and pursuing. So, you know, kidnapping, white slavery, um, uh, other kinds of white collar crime, things of that nature, uh, in the case of the FBI, for example, uh, espionage. all of that would kind of fall into uh, a, an established rubric. What we have here under this executive order that, that Trump signed is the Department of Homeland Security, which w- whose agents do not operate under the same kinds of overall guidelines as the Department of Justice uh, components do, out here engaging in what can only be described as counter-protest operations, operations that are designed to try to suppress dissent. There is no actual criminal act that they have cited either for Mr. Pettibone or anybody else so far. Uh, and I think this is just literally a power grab on, on the part of DHS that is being uh, enabled and, and is being utilized by Trump in order to, again, change the conversation away from his lousy poll numbers now and, and the ongoing disaster of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. I, I, I think my biggest fear is Governor Brown letting this situation get out of control from the get-go because she was told on Tuesday when Chad Wolf of DHS called and said, hey, we're going to be doing this. That was her moment to tell him, uh, no, you're not. Uh, if you're going to try to send your agents here, I'm going to have Oregon National Guard on the street to make sure that they don't do anything. Uh, I'm going to tell my, uh, I'm going to tell the state police and, and direct all local law enforcement to not cooperate with you in any way, shape, or form. It's those kinds of pushback measures, had they been put on the table immediately. Uh, and implemented before any of these CBP personnel got on the ground might have prevented this from going anywhere. So if you're a Governor Larry Hogan or you're a Governor Andy Bashir or uh, a governor of some other state where these protests are ongoing, uh, as I uh, careful listeners will know that I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, which is home of many weeks, a month and a half of protests over the death of uh, Breonna Taylor. Um, What do you tell these governors uh, if the feds come knocking and saying, hey, we're going to do something similar 
here, if if indeed this is uh, in Oregon a test case? Mm-hmm. I think if I were a governor, I, I would already have basically told the president and, and DHS secretary, don't even think about it. Don't even think about trying to send agents here to roust our people off the streets and so on and so forth. If, if we have a problem in a particular state where uh, you know we get to levels of, of street violence and chaos, let's say on the scale that we saw in Chicago at the Democratic National Convention in 1968, might that be a circumstance where some level of federal intervention uh, might actually be necessary or appropriate? Possibly. But most of these protests, as we have seen over the last three months nationwide, have, have been overwhelmingly peaceful. These are people who have got real grievances. Uh, these, are, these are murders and police tactics that have been used against people of color for 100 plus years. And until that's addressed, uh, until we have fundamental police reform, very fundamental changes in how we approach policing. Uh, we're going to continue to see these protests, and as long as they, you know, stay in the lane and and are peaceful and and are trying to, you know, work the system and make the system respond to them as it should be responding to them, then uh, DHS and and all of its elements need to go and do what they're supposed to be doing, not trying to drag American protesters off the street when they're exercising their First Amendment rights. Patrick Eddington is a research fellow in Homeland Security and Civil Liberties at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.